Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. We were supposed to do this last week, but we got deeply involved in our own personalities and uh, talking about our lives, which uh, everybody loves, as it turns out. Um, and so uh, we will take up the issue that we were supposed to take up late last week, and that is six different articles to talk about Force Design 2030, and we'll do that this morning. Um, joining me from the Eastern White House in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, is Jeffrey Kenny. Jeffrey, how are you? I'm good. I'm happy. I'm in my Vegas house, my happy house. You know, this is pretty unique that you're happy. So for those of you for those of you that n- don't know Jeff's tone of voice when he's happy, this will be a, a new experience for you. I'm off times happy, Eric <laughs> McNamara, but uh, I'm especially. I got to go swimming here in a little bit. Oh, in the pool, it has got above the. Uh, there's no ice on the fucking water out there anymore. It's nice and hot here, so I'm going in. Oh yeah, got it, got it. All right, so Jeff's in Las Vegas from McAllen, Texas. Our uh, resident birder is uh, Tim Lynch. Tim, how are you? Doing fine, Matt. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Any new developments on being a podcast expert? Um, much discussion about that late last well, night. I was, I was, I was going to talk about a series of photographs I've got of a, I think it's a red-bellied wood duck, but I don't have my, my notes right in front of me, so I'm not going to talk about it because I could be wrong. could be a blue-bellied wood duck for all the fuck I know. <laughs> all I know is i got some pictures of a wood duck, and those things look a lot like loons. When they're flying around, they have a real problem sticking those landings in the trees. But I—that's I, that's about the only thing going on. All right. Well, hey, just be careful. Oh, it's a tree duck. Just be careful. Oh, it's now a tree that, duck. Excuse me. Now that you're being fa- belly tree duck. Now that you're being fact checked, that shit's important. By my wife in real time. This is this is. I'm not saying that's, anything about anything now. That's humiliating. <laughs> you might want to just stop all references to birds. Okay. <laughs> well, she's pretty. She's pretty smart. So I listen to her when she when she uh, gives me the feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Red-bellied woodcocks. There you go. There you go. Can you, I mean, she was just sitting in the other room listening, going, fuck, what a fucking moron. It's a wood duck, you dope, right? <laughs> yeah, but she doesn't talk to me like that. She says it she in a doesn't. nice, nice support. No, I know, but you know she thinks that, like, again. Well, my wife, no, she, she'll actually articulate that if she wants to. Oh, she's really? not shy. But she's, uh, she's, in the, uh, she's in one of those one of those moves with me because I've been such a great dude all weekend long. She only gets shitty with me. Oh, really? How did you how did you meet her? She's a stalker. That's how. No, I'm I'm sorry. I I met she she contacted me on a on a dating site when I was in a when I was uh, on a, using dating sites and whatnot. That's that's how she met me. And then, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it was one of those things. Was it was exactly what my therapist at the time said. Don't do. Don't be driving down 60, 70 miles away, beating people on and what. But it's, I did exactly what he told me not to do, and it seemed to have worked out ultimately in my advantage. So was that time? So there's a moral yeah, to that story. About therapists. Exactly. Yeah, Don't yeah, yeah. Ever, he, was, no, ever. He, was wrong about, he was right about a lot, but about this one, he didn't quite quite get it. He said he got, got to stop that, got to play play around a little bit and whatnot. But it was, uh, you know, that online dating stuff can be fun when you're an older guy without – with with just a, 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 a at least look like you you know have some kind of decent shape about you and no dead animals on your website or or thing but but it, it turned out it was horribly expensive so it was a good thing that I met her quick because otherwise otherwise I would have been in 
Do you have any? Do you have any, any? I would have not been able to sustain it. You have any dating tips? Um. Well, uh, no, I I don't because what I found was was uh, uh, you always full of surprises. I I met people that were had pictures up that were 150, 200 pounds ago. I met uh, people. I met women who were very very happy that uh, but wanted me to know right off the right off the the bat that they're uh, that what the hell was she, she said she's a she's a felon but 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 there's no active warrants out on her yet. Uh, that kind of stuff. It was amazing. Some of the things that would just, uh, I would just, yeah, I had, uh, I had relatively horrible luck, except for one, the one that, con- that contacted me. So I, I gaffed off what the damn therapist said, went after the one that contacted me, turned out to be very, very, uh, uh, it was a, a, a very good mix. I enjoyed being married to, to Miss Rebecca very, very much. But she and was a, so... she stalked me after that. Yeah. You were down in Texas working in the oil business, yes? Yeah, I was working as safe. I was a safety manager for Ainsworth Trucking, the trucking company. That That's was cool. fun. That was cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Number one trucking safety record in Texas the year I was there. Not a boy. Boom. Do yeah. uh, do people in the oil business still make a lot of money? No, 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 no. Ainsworth was going under hard. Right about 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 twenty eighteen when the price of oil. See, unfortunately, they started the fracking boom. Price of oil starts dropping because the supply increases. Once it got a, 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 below 60 a gallon, uh, very difficult to make a profit. Once diesel was less than $5 a gallon, remember Will talking about how they add on to the, to the, uh, to the bills to get a surcharge if it's above $5? I do. All those things, when they fell, crippled Ainsworth. And he was barely hanging on when I left. I left to do him a favor. He had he couldn't really afford to keep the company going. Now, now there is a little bit of a turnaround. But I I got news for you. There, it's it's not what you would expect. The frackers are very very leery about uh, going after new leases because they don't trust the government. So it's not a huge growth like you would think right now. There's a lot of people, you know, trying to trying to trying to read the tea leaves before they start going after and investing. The kind of money it takes to, to extract, uh, you know, oil out of the ground Got it. or gas. Got it. Yeah. And joining us from uh, switching from the world of dating and petroleum exploration <laughs> to uh, to things more uh, germane to the program, Will Costantini joins us from Greater Kansas City. Will, how are you? I am great. And everybody out there, today is my dog's 10th birthday. Yay. That's old for a dog, right? It is old for a dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ten years old. You know, my wife uh, on her Facebook page, and you go to that memories thing. Um, there's a picture on there on May second every year. I've been putting <laughs> them up for the last couple of years. It was sort of neat to to go and see that every year. She used to put a picture up on May second, the dog's birthday. I got an email. I got in the mail. A, a print uh, of the USS Ranger as a gift recently. I don't know, a couple weeks ago, before I went to Marine Barracks, Washington, D.C. Cool. I'm packing, and I look, uh, and my I've, I've got a front door, and then there's a window on each side of the door, long window, long vertical window, and I see a cylindrical 
object leaning up against the window. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> Any wires <laughs> exactly. leading off it? <laughs> I couldn't tell because, you know, it's that kind of glass that's wavy and shit. So I thought, hmm, maybe, oh, I, <laughs> maybe I should investigate that. And it's a tube, and I open it, and it's a print of um, it's a print of a of an A six landing on uh, on the USS Ranger at sea, right? So I was aboard the Ranger for two years. Yeah, so that's cool, man. yeah. So um, and and then A six a badass bomber, man. Oh, yeah, man. they were or tanker, right? They yeah. would use for both, yeah, and off the, off, off the carrier. And- Electronic warfare too, the EA6. Yeah, yeah. EA6B. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of stories in that bad boy. So if we still had them. We they would have been divested though. If we still had them. <laughs> this thing's too good. Let's do so it. I said, um, I I so I wrote right Ohio man, and I thank him for sending me this. And he's his name is uh uh. Bill Mason, and he lives in Ohio, and um, he, he, and I said, hey, you know, not too many things make me shut my fucking big fat yap, but when somebody sends me something like that, that does, you know, thank you. He sent me a, another print a few years ago of, um, of Little Round Top, because I talk about Strong Vincent there, and one of the, the strategic decisions made by a military man that had... Well, a, a, a tactical decision has strategic implications. So right. Vincent taking his brigade up there and whatnot. And so, uh, you know, I don't know, months, maybe a year later, I get this print, you know, and just, and it's a beautiful print. So I, is I, this a retired Marine, Bill Mason? Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a, uh, he's a, first sergeant retired? No, no. Officer, uh, mm. light armored air defense. So I wrote him back saying thank you, right? Um, <clears throat> and he said, uh, he says, yeah, I followed the artist on Facebook. When I saw the print was the Ranger, I thought, Mac needs for this this for his moto wall in his studio. And he said, then he writes this, we owe our relationship to Carrie Costantini. <laughs> yeah. He followed, awesome. he followed Carrie on Facebook, and Carrie wrote something about All Marine Radio, and he clicked over and listened to it. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just that's cool. Yeah. Hey, Mac. Yes. Mac, can I mention these this uh, reunion I was at? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this was uh, the class 0302 from IOC um, that graduated, I think, in late 2002 or mid 2000, mid to late 2002. And they're very. This this is the first time I've ever seen. I was the guest speaker at this thing. They have a reunion every five years, and they always have. Invited me, but I couldn't. I couldn't go the first time because I was in a hospital, and then other times I was in Afghanistan. And finally, I was able to do it, and it was. I'm so glad I did. They had it at the Army Navy Club, which is a very you know distinguished place, full of history and stuff. But these guys, um, they really it had a unique chemistry that they would do this because I've never seen an IOC class have reunions like this, you know. Uh, and it was uh, very well done. Um, uh, you know, the uh, thing was Pancho. The main, uh, uh, you know, coordinator of this was uh, former Captain Ed Slavin, who I think you know, Mac. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's super smart guy, super good guy. All of them, and and uh, I have to tell you, uh, these guys are in their forties now, right? But when they're in that room, 
they were like lieutenants, you know, and the hawk, you know what I mean? And it was, uh, they, they all reverted back. And there's some guys that, there's only a couple that are still on active duty. One of them, Dave Denial. Anyone, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Denial, anybody know him? He's a 1-5 guy. They sent nine lieutenants from that class to 1-5. And Childers, of course, was one of them. And he was the one who got killed, the Alpha Company platoon commander. And, uh, and they had the adjacent platoon commander who was there, another great guy who's left one five after three after the OIF tour and then uh, and then the first Fallujah tour and then Ramadi tour and uh, and you know I think you know Max some of those guys like uh, Terrell and so forth Lieutenant Colonel Terrell who recently he is the CO of one five yeah no now and, uh, he uh, but those guys they did the march up they came back and they did yeah. Fallujah uh, and then Eric Smith brought Ramadi. Him, yeah Eric Smith Ramadi. took him to Ramadi and in uh in in 2005 yep and they lost two company commanders there dead yeah. Yeah. uh jamie edge and uh john maloney of which now our former um our former digs at ioc the bullpen where we argued and nearly came to blows so many times is now the john maloney bar and i see it pretty have you been there it's pretty uh mm-hmm. pretty impressive when you go there it's like a little museum to IOC, and so it was good. And uh, I just want to say, those guys, did a, you know, it was very stimulating that that class, and, and to listen to them go back and forth about uh, you know things they had done. Every guy got up and like dedicated, uh, did a toast to at least one KIA they knew. And there's a lot of KIAs, you know. That uh, and the guy who introduced me was a guy who was uh, he went to the fleet and he eventually became a Marsoc guy. He's a Silver Star winner. Um, uh, Josh, uh, the guy we, Josh, the, the guy we uh, we spoke with Tim at the thing at the, the Marine Military Academy. Uh-huh. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah, and um, it was very good, very good event. So my hats off to those guys. I really appreciate it. They didn't let me pay for a damn thing. So hate can you imagine life. how lucky hate they them. are to graduate from IOC and right into the shit? God yeah, damn. But on the other hand, all these guys are like successful. I mean, it's like we, it's like we. We put these kids through the basic school, and then uh, they go to IOC if they're going to be, you know, grant officers. And then uh, they leave the fleet. They leave the Marine Corps. Most of them leave, and uh, and they're like Jedi Knights spread out through the country, you know, because these guys are all doing good. You know, the guys that were there, and uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, you, you want to know what I, you know what I think, uh, and I was thinking, I don't know why I, I I do know why I was thinking about this. Um, I was thinking about this relative to trauma and life and things like that. Right. You know what? You know what? The I think is the single most important component of of living a great life. I, I believe it is self discipline. Because somebody can tell you, you know, you can lead a horse, you can take him to water, you can shove his fucking head in it, right? You can boot him in the ass to try to get him to inhale, but you can't make him inhale. You know, and you can't make them do it a second and third time on their own. And so, you know, you can you can teach people all, you know, like I do it all the time. Look, there's a fucking path. People have gone through it. You know, look at the guys at the Hanover Hilton. Read these different historical examples. You could fucking do it. They're no different from you. All these people do it. Won't do it. And and you know what it is at the end of the day? It is the self-discipline that is, <clears throat> I would say, um, that uh, decorates the Marine Corps. And uncommon people and not afraid of discipline, and in particular the officer corps, and in particular 
of of the particular the infantry officer corps right mm-hmm. and um and i think it is that self discipline of purpose of effort <clears throat> that that defines you know what it is to be successful and then sustain success and so i i was thinking about that over the weekend and i think i think self discipline and you don't ever ever hear it spoken about either cuz we don't no. like we hate the d word in our culture and i think it yeah the idea that you have your rights but you also have responsibilities and you just you just laid them out and that's the thing also about this thing mac um it was very therapeutic for those guys, for some oh, of those fuck. guys. Yeah, probably all of them. You know, they really, you know, no, the, and, uh, the intimacy. It's like what well, it's like this for us, yeah. right? I mean, Will's telling us about his fucking dog, petting his dog right now, right? <clears throat> and us getting together, and you know, if because of, mostly because of my traveling, so if we don't do it for a couple of weeks, I, I mean, I certainly miss it. You know, yeah. yeah, and you can feel it, and so to not to be cut off from that. But again, I, I just find there is no class on <laughs> on being disciplined in life and all the benefits that accrue if you are, right? Um, all the benefits that accrue from if you are. And their mental health benefits, their physical benefits. Their, and, and again, what you're talking about, Jeff, is is financial benefits because they're mm-hmm. they're smart they're driven they're disciplined and they're and ultimately that's a quotient for achievement wherever you mm-hmm. are wherever you are so and so it I goes have, for like timmy tim goes to that uh that oil company and he you know he he's a big help you know what i mean it's like well that, that like was from like, recruiting duty jeff that's that's yeah. when you don't allow him to fill an 800 milligram motrin because that gets reported you give them two hundred milligram milk and tell them to shut up. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that that's that's not how you really want to do this. I just wanted to make that perfectly clear. But well, you're, you but, you, but road, your points well taken. It, it, it was because I walked into that place knowing nothing about trucking, and and you, you, you but know, you don't I, need I to, but, right? You don't need to. No, Look, no, it's all. Will it, shake it his head. About, Will's a railroad man. like he knows a (laughs) fucking thing about a train right and that's the thing i had two jobs in the civilian world and i would tell people straight up i have no idea what this is yeah exactly the the texas railroad commission is a big player down here in the trucking industry still yeah well the oil industry yeah and the oil industry absolutely they are so will you might want to take your container expertise and get the fuck down to texas and Anyways, I, don't, I, swear, I don't think they can pay the hourly rate that I need to I go back know. to work. So you have some, there's some good gambling down there. I hear a lot <laughs> of ga- big gambling addiction at, in Tejas. Well, yeah. since we're fucking, we're all snobs of the O3 variety. There's a great book. There's a book, Sand in the Wind, where it's in the front. It says to all the numbers, but especially the O3s. So <laughs> there you go. This is my my kudos and uh, gratitude towards. IOC class, O three, O two, <laughs> and you know what? And everybody else fucking knows it too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that whole O three thing, we're all Marines. Don't even go there with us, all right? We, <laughs> you all have Marine training. Only, if only some of us actually. Anyway, um, all right. The first article: the Marines are march- marching towards irrelevance. Right. Does the Nightingale go first in all of this, or, or? Well, you're the Fuhrer of the fucking podcast. Whatever you want to do, man. <laughs> do you ever get the 
You ever get the fucking feeling Jeff hates to get bossed around? <laughs> That's Who's not like, true. You're going, you're going first, motherfucker. Every okay. fucking time. All right, Jeffrey. So and and so here's what I think. It, it should be. It's got to be a passage. It could be up to a paragraph that you want to read, but it's a, it is a single passage that 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 you think uh, is significant in all of this. So, Jeffrey, what say you in John Schmidt's article entitled "The Marines Are Marching Towards Irrelevance"? Mm-hmm. So after he goes through all the things that uh, the Marine Corps was before this and the prevailing attitude that, uh, you know, and he says, you know, everybody, the Marine Corps always had a view that uh, war is expected to be brutal, dirty, chaotic, bloody, and often at close range and deeply human. Um, He says, and this is a, he really sticks a shiv in here, um, as Will would say that I would do to somebody, but but apparently no longer. Marine Corps leadership anticipates a war with China and the Western Pacific, Force planning document, Marine Corps seemed to have adopted the technocentric view of push-button warfare at long range. That made me, that made my stomach churn because, number one, he's right. That is what they're trying to do. Number two, it's awful. I mean, me saying techno and Jeff Kenny in the same sentence is worse than putting a silk hat on a pig. You know, I mean, it just doesn't go. It's not that I can't handle some things, the technology, you know, technological, but uh, that's not it. That's not it. You know, the thing is, Using your 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 uh, resources and your people in accordance with their capabilities against the enemy's weaknesses—that's the key—and and a determination that if you if you guess wrong or you decide wrong and it's just a damn fight, having the grit to fight it out. And that's right. the Marine Corps. That's Iwo Jima. That's you know Bella Wood and so forth. Got it. All right, Tim, your passage. Yeah, I, I had I had a couple because I kind of figured that uh, all of us would would uh, would 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 glom onto that Marine Corps view one that Jeff just did, but uh, yeah, uh, see Schmidt, that's why I thought that maybe I should go first. That way I would get mine in there first and not have to go find a second one yeah, while you no, fuck, I'm, while I'm, you fuckers are talking. I'm yeah, I'm, you're like the, I know the fear. I know that might have been a tactical mistake by allowing Kenny to go first. Yeah, but I wanted to point out something about John Schmidt, who we're, who we're doing first is, who's an intellectual guy. My favorite thing was when he starts, when he started out, the defining feature of the development of U.S. military policy is the tension that exists between the lessons of history and the promises of technology, a contest between those who see the past as prologue and those who view it as irrelevant. That's how he started off the piece and, I, and then filled in from there. And he's exactly right. That has always been the, the, the future. You know, the air power versus uh, attrition versus maneuver, blah, blah, blah. And the last thing that he says, the Chinese anti-access variable barrier is formidable, without a doubt. But to assume it cannot be overcome is defeatist. So, boom. We've talked about careerism and careerists. We've talked about attritionists. Now we've got a new, a, a, a new uh, a word in the lexicon, and that's defeatist. I like how he how he put that. That was my favorite uh, quote from Mr. Schmidt. Got it. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no other passages. This is Schmidt obviously is making the point um, of a of overarching technology, which is a which is a utopia. You know, and I, I've talked about a book on here before called Finding the Target, 
which was written as a criticism of the whole transformation debate, which was occurring before 9-11. If you remember, Rumsfeld was in trouble because they couldn't get transformation done. And the author of the book, Finding the Target, basically says that we're looking for this overarching um, transparency of the battlefield that will be handed to us by technology and that warfare comes down to can we find the target. And fundamentally, um, the Marine Corps doctrine and all of us in our heart of hearts know that warfare has got really not a lot to do with finding the target. It's two men are in a fight. One knows they're going to win and one knows they're going to lose. Which man are you? Yep. Um, and so Schmidt, you know, I haven't read a lot of his stuff since um, Warfighting. The guy is a really good writer. And, uh, um, yeah, that's the whole point of the thing, that reliance on technology is, I mean, it, it goes away from 2,500 years of written human history about warfare. Um, I'll read you this paragraph. Technology will march on, but for many reasons, but not least as a counterbalance to unbridled faith in the latest gadget, the nation desperately needs somebody to approach war as Marines traditionally have. That is, the nation needs somebody to see war for what it is, a brutal, bloody, dirty, chaotic, and rather rather than for what we would like it to be. So yep. to me, that kind of goes back to the doves tails off what he says earlier in the piece. That's towards the end of the piece, what Jeff talked about that, you know, you look at, at the Marine Corps historical value uh, to the nation has not been, it was a nuanced force with missiles or some other boutique capability that could make, you know, somehow make, you know, a contribution. It was a fucking, you know, jaw, jaw set firmly, everybody running one way and Marines going the other way, you know, with that clear look in their eye saying, let's go fucking do this shit. And, uh, and it doesn't, and we'll be there all day. But at the end of the day, as Will just said, we win, you fucking lose. And so, um, yeah, I thought, I thought that was good. All right. On to, on, on to General Zinni's article. Now this, uh, these next four appeared in task and purpose, um, and the first, uh, I, I want to say this was published on the 19th. I'm not sure if that was Monday or Tuesday. Uh, and it was entitled, What is the Role of the Marine Corps in Today's Global Security Environment? And and Will commented on this when General Zinni um, appeared on Damien O'Connell's um, uh, webinar thing. And he said the first 20 minutes of that, the little class General Zinni gives, that class is this paper. Okay. Um, and um, so anyway, uh, Jeffrey, uh, give me a quote from that that you thought was, that broke squelch for you. Um, he, the, where General Zinni goes from talking about how we were division-centric during Vietnam and before, and there's a lot of lip service, and it was true, that we did the Marine air ground team, you know, but uh, what he says here about Goldwater Nichols really, uh, you know, hits home. It makes it practically, it, it practicalizes the use of, um, you know, the air ground team. He says the, the primacy of the MEF 
as one commandant described it, means that each MEV is a reservoir of combat power which could be organized and shaped to meet mission requirements. And so what that is, basically, uh, you know, we got three MEFs that are similar but not identical. And needs of the COCOMs, you know, can be satisfied. Requirements of the COCOMs can be satisfied by the MEF putting together MAGTAFs and deploying them to, you know, for whatever it should be. And both whether in support of the State Department, whether it's in support of, you know, uh, purely – you know, military uh, things like Grenada and so forth. But, uh, you know, I thought that was the the most uh, compelling part because what he's doing is laying out. You can't lean. You can't stop being that combined arms force and still be as valued to the nation as the Marine Corps has been, you know, in its history, particularly its history, excuse me, since the Second World War, you know. So that's that was compelling to me. Got it. Tim? There was a there was a little sentence in here that I think is is most important to emphasize, and it starts: Ukraine surprised us, according to our own national security strategy warnings that stress stress the global nature of the threats. The Russian invasion should not have happened. So that's that's another emphasis on the the futility of focusing all of your effort on an adversary, a specific adversary, and a specific uh, course of action on a part of that adversary, I think that's probably one of the uh, one of the, the the one of those sentences that you don't necessarily see as you read through this the first time that you got to sit there and, and, and think about it in order to understand the basic fact is that every goddamn war that we jump into surprised us. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that it seems to be the nature of wars is us getting surprised. So betting all the eggs on us never being surprised and having exactly the right solution for exactly the right eventuality is, in my opinion, just another another uh, more hubris, more more silliness. Got it. Well. Um, I'm going to do two. One's going to be short. In the second to the last paragraph, he says, uh, who's driven these decisions? He's talking about changing capabilities, et cetera. The COCOMs, the JCS, McSittick analysis, a small group of dilettantes, question mark. He shouldn't have said dilettantes, right? He, he shouldn't go personal there. Um, one man's opinion diminishes his argument. But the, the key is the final paragraph. Fundamental issues regarding the operational character of the Marine Corps that must be addressed at this inflection point. Whether intended or not, operational ethos built around the infantry, emphasizing closing with the enemy in close combat and the offensive character of of our forces is being challenged or rejected. The belief in our air-ground logistics formation is diminished. The ability to fight at the core level is being abandoned. The importance of combined arms maneuver is being pushed aside in favor of becoming a fires delivery system. Is this a core? Is this the course the core chooses to take? And of interest, um, when a lot of this stuff started coming out, what a month or six weeks ago, there's been a lot of um, pushback from inside the house and the contractor community and McSittick people. I see it on LinkedIn, and uh, and their argument is um, the commandant never said tanks don't have a place. The commandant never said we're going to give up combined arms. The commandant never said we're not going to be the force in readiness. So all of these people that say in that, they're just putting up a straw man. Yep. Um, but 
You can't tell me how you take X. X is the force that was before we did divestures or divestments for force design. You take Y out of the force, tanks, artillery, infantry battalions being reduced by 30%, et cetera, and then X minus Y equals X. That's the math problem. It just doesn't work. And so that's what Zinni is pointing out. It can only zero. work if Y equals zero. Zero, exactly. Um, See, the rest of these, the other two rubes, they weren't paying attention to your equation, but I was. No, but you have a finance degree from economics. East San Diego State University. E- economics, well, so. it's loftier. It's loftier than science, math. The powerhouse. So, anyways, um, that that you know, the history lesson is really good, um, but the final paragraph there is, uh, you know. The importance of combined arms maneuver is being pushed aside in favor of becoming a fires delivery system. Mm-hmm. And if you're a system, technology, tactics, et cetera, will always overtake a system and make you irrelevant. Yep. There you go. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought the thing in the article, I think it's not what I'll speak to, but the thing I appreciate the most is, and again, I echo what Will said, he talks about the way requirements get driven, right? He talks about Goldwater Nichols. He talks about the creation of, of COCOMs and and all of our representatives inside those combatant commands that drive requirements, right, that, that the services compete to provide forces for and all the rest of that stuff. And one of the things you'll see when uh, somebody gets appointed as a service chief, they go on a tour to talk to all the combatant commanders. What do you need? You know, mm-hmm. and they're familiar with a lot of them because a lot of them have been combatant commanders uh, relatively recently, or at least some of them have. And so, um, and that's really, you know, what what Zinni says is that's really what drives, you know, the evolution of the force. You know, and any question, so where did this come from? And that's what Will was talking about. But um, in under uh, the the section marked assessment lessons from recent conflicts. General Zinni says this, becoming hyper-focused on one threat, in this case China, we took our eye off the big picture. The Department of Defense is emphasizing integrated deterrence. And we talk about integrated deterrence, what does that mean? It means, uh, and this is me digressing, but it means us along with our allies, right, in, you know, the European Defense Initiative, right, uh, is it Defense or Deterrence Initiative, and now the Pacific Deterrence Initiative, that means us integrated with our allies, right, doing things that, that will make any type of military action prohibitively costly. And therefore, you know, you render it, you know, not a, a, a non-happening by virtue of your strength. Anyway. You know, you know, Mac, it's like it's a constant struggle between two, you know, clashing philosophies. Number one, look at us in Iraq. You know, the enemy employed cheaply made IEDs. And uh, the, the solution to that was more people walking and less people driving. But that would have entailed more troops, you know, um, allocated to that theater. And that was something that our national, especially DOD, was not willing to do. And so consequently, they went for the technological solution. An ID that costs a couple hundred bucks to make is now going to be, you know, um, is now going to be uh, made irrelevant by a, by a, a piece of equipment, i.e. an MRAP, that costs millions of dollars to make. 
mean, it's ridiculous. And will extend. And, uh, it will extend the conflict, right? Extend it exactly. trillions of dollars. And but again, it's the expedient political solution. Yep. And that's and what it was for Don Rumsfeld. And Tim can tell you, in the first couple of years, post two thousand one in Afghanistan, IEDs weren't really that big of a thing, but they saw how well they were working against us and our stubborn refusal to do the tactical response to this uh, to this weapon system, which was everybody was screaming about. I mean, it's in the hospital. Lance, every Lance Corporal that's you know blown up telling uh, telling General Hagee. He said, what do you think there, Corporal so-and-so? Sir, we need more guys. Sir, we need more guys. Sir, we need more guys. I heard him coming down the line, you know, in the, in the ICU. Gets to me. I go, sir, we need more guys. <laughs> you know, Tony Colonel Kenny says the same thing that Lance Corporal Schmidt says, you know. We need more guys because that's, that's the tactical solution to this thing. Right. And do we have more guys? Yeah, we did. And it worked when we put them in. So it's like, uh, you know, but but the, the idea that, we have to change everything because the enemy has a couple of technological, you know, innovations, i.e., that w- that we actually, you know, developed the top-down anti-tank systems and so forth, you know, uh, Stinger-type technology and everything, the drone stuff. Uh, the, somehow that is going to change everything, and we need to stop, get rid of our ethos right now, and become this thing that Will was talking about. Let me just finish reading this. Becoming hyper-focused on one threat, in this case China, we took our eye off the big picture. The Department of Defense is emphasizing integrated deterrence. That can only work if we have combat-ready, highly deployable forces that can close areas that are threatened during times of high tension. This posture reassures allies and gives us pause and gives pause to potential enemies. The lesson here is critically important as we look to NATO's northern and eastern borders, South Korea, our Middle Eastern allies, and Taiwan. The forces that count the forces that count most are those that present formidable combined arms set of capabilities with available logistics support and the strategic lift to rapidly close the area of operation. The Russians are witnessing the consequences of of failure in the ability to command, control, and coordinate all combat and combat support capabilities and actions. And so to me, what that paragraph points out to you is we've taken a force that operates across the range of military uh, operations, and we've essentially turned it into a boutique capability. And I, and I think the thing that General Zinni asks, he says, look, dude, you know, did all the combatant commanders, do they understand this? Do they understand what the Marine Corps now is? Because if they do, then for some of those war plans, the Marine Corps cannot be included because they're not the force that, you know, that is right. included in the Annex A, which is the force list for the operation. Mm-hmm. You know, and he asked those questions. <laughs> and, and my, I have never seen anything written about a reconciliation of war plans. And the commandant just told David Ignatius, we're capable of any mission we're assigned. How can you say that? You, yeah. you, you well, don't have your assigned mission shrank down. Yeah. If your assigned mission shrank down to this, then you're capable. Yeah, but he said any assigned mission. Okay. Any potential mission versus any assigned mission. Assigned may mean something in the joint world, oh, right? Really? If you're in the war plan, you may have an assigned mission. Maybe our mission used to be this. And now our mission is this, so we can do it. 
Wow. So we've got the exacto knife out. Um, so again, well, I think, I'll tell you what, I mean, I think General Zinni lays out the whole, um, the structure of the DOD, why the Marine Corps is what it is, what it is designed to be. And, mm-hmm. and again, to me, the question that comes out of this is, okay, look, I see the need, and I, and I think everybody does, the 3MF's got to change to become something different. We got it. Okay. But does the whole Marine Corps need to change to, to affect that? I mean, there's different threats around the world, and so the Marine Corps is going to be this, quote-unquote, stand-in force everywhere. Well, what about the situations where the standing force isn't required, and we don't do windows anymore? We're just going to stand there and, you know, be fixed site security for somebody to free up other people to fight? And that's where Jeff says makes me want to fucking vomit, right? So anyway, all right, next article is— uh, Before that— before we go on, yes, sir. I, two things. Who are our allies in the Middle East? Israel. We don't, no, we only have one, Turkey. What? Turkey. The rest of them are not our allies. That's right. I hate the use of that term. The Saudis are not our allies. The Iraqis are not. Even the Israelis. The Israeli, Israelis aren't allowed to have allies. So the other thing that's well, I mean, really are you good, talking – are so, talking, yeah, define the term Are you ally. talking semantics here or what? Yeah, because yeah, I mean. No, it's just I hate when we use that word, allies. Because if you use that word, then the Ukrainians are now our allies. What is define? Right? Then define the word. Treaty. We have treaty obligations. Treaty yeah, obligations. Yeah. Yeah. Ally, ally as defined by our treaty obligation. Yeah. Yeah, the only well, one we got in the Middle are East those is your Turkey. only allies then? Well, you may have other people that have common interests in particular areas. You may have partners on certain things, but allies is different. Well, because you're using an MSTP type definition of ally, and then there's the broad term ally, what it really means. And most so how thinking, should we use it? We, if General Zinni is attempting to make a point about COCOMs, he should use it per a governmental definition. Because otherwise, everyone's our ally. Well, I would say Israel is our ally because of exactly what you said. They can't do stuff to help us as much because it would actually hurt us in the perceived diplomatic sense. So, you know what I'm saying? So I, I don't can, believe we have any treaty obligation. Well, I mean, that's just that you go go back to that stuff, but uh we, we have we, we've done a lot of stuff for It Israel is not a black and white term. Okay. I'm just saying I'm in a, an article like this where you're trying to make a point about cocoms and war plans, etc. Allies mean something. Places of interest, nation, all those are different levels of things, I think. My other point is, you know, technology is the answer. Um, JIADO, Joint IED, IED defense. Defeat, defeat Organization. That thing's budget was billions, yep. billions. So we were, and all that stuff is a TS. And so they would they would have a program that would come in and all the service vice chiefs had to sign off on. 
and it was a pain in the ass because it's a TS document, and the the ACMAC wasn't always in the office, so I'd have to hold on to this freaking thing all day long, waiting for him to come in. Well, I had a letter that I could sign certain administrative things for the general, have them signed by the iron pen. So we had an agreement that if something costs less than $10 million from Jayato, I would just go down and get it signed. So we were spending $10 million, and those were, those were maybe 10% of the programs that came in. Usually they were in the tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. And these were not MRAPs, right? These were find the target. Kind yeah, of but thing. that shit never made its way out there. No, really. and, and it never worked. That's the whole right. point. Yeah. We have a 20-year history that only ended two years ago to convince us mm-hmm. that our ability to have overarching intelligence to narrow down target sets to defeat the enemy doesn't work. Good point. We, we spent billions of dollars recently to defeat the crudest of enemy weapon systems. You're right. And we think yeah, that somehow again, we're going to be think... better and more technical weapons. Yeah. It's ridiculous. We proved it to ourselves. Yeah. And that's a hist- so, historical lesson that comes up again and again. Look at the British longbow against heavy cavalry. Heavy cavalry is usually expensive for those, uh, you know, those. Uh, but, yeah, um, but we don't need a history lesson. It, no. We've lived it in our yeah. lifetime. We made our own dumbass history. Right, Let's right in, in front of ourselves. Fool's errand of uh, thinking technology is yeah. going to solve so, all problems. And what's what's even worse is I spent seven years driving around Afghanistan invulnerable to these to these IEDs because I was in a local car and nobody could tell who the hell I was. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was it was so easy to defeat. But well, no. The, the bottom line is you're talking about an enemy who doesn't give a shit. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Who yeah, d- that's a, does that's not a give fact. a shit? Yeah. You, Collateral you, damage, no big deal. You're gonna you can kill us. That's fine. You can you can do whatever the fuck you want to. We're not quitting. At, at the end of the day, you will leave here like everybody else has. Yep. Yep. No. And that don't want to say that that was true, but it was. The um, yep. all right. Uh, General Van Riper's article: The Marine Corps' plan to re to redesign the force will only end up breaking it. Neither history nor the American people will judge the Corps' actions as wise. Jeffrey? Yes. And uh, not to fixate on one particular resource, but it's emblematic of this whole folly, right? General Van Riper says, The Commandant stands virtually alone among military leaders in the world in his conviction that tanks have no future. Okay, that's prescient. You know, that is true. You know, the idea that uh, because of this technology that now there's no need for, you know, uh, tanks and stuff like that is not true, is not true. And there are systems, and he points out, you know, technically the Barack uh, system and stuff, the Isra- the, our non-allies, the Israelis are going to make available to us, you know, are, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's a, and it, but writ large, that's the problem with this whole thing, you know, the, uh, the uh, uh, myopic technological uh, view of looking at this thing is is, is the issue, and, and I think he spells that out pretty good. Got it, uh, Tim. Well, he he goes over very in in very good detail the effects of fires uh, um, consequences that he's talked about before. 
in otherwise in otherwise our, we will not be able to doctrinally accomplish what we want our indirect fires to do as far as disrupt delay limit destroy di- and divert and he explains that all in there but what really caught my eye was according to the ex- uh, appendix 9 of the tentative manual for expeditionary advanced force operations okinawa pumps and new floats will come right. from a two battalion base get the fuck out of here how can you possibly prepare when you're six months on, six months off? I mean, that is that that is insanity. And now you've got your your supporting weapons, your crew served weapons, sort of like in your armory that you've got to play with every once in a while when you feel like it. I mean, you don't even have dedicated heavy weapons guys, and you're going out on a pump every six months. That's crazy. And and that is that is uh, that is something we've tried before. We recognized it was futile, as as General Van Riper po- uh, pointed out, and that was one of those things that jumped out at me that I hadn't really thought of before, but a natural consequence for reducing the number of infantry battalions in the force. But but two battalion base, that's crazy, and that is not going to help you retain people, not even close. Well, uh, yeah, in the in the paragraph about. Uh, you know, the commandant suggested that the army would provide tanks if the Marine Corps needed them. So go two sentences down. He says, with logic of this sort, almost any inherent Marine Corps warfighting capability could be outsourced. Artillery, helicopters, fighter attack aircraft. The Corps has long and rightfully argued that it is a self-contained organization that came to fight in a wide range of contingencies. What changed? Yeah. I mean, and the commandant is quoted as saying, if the Marine Corps needs tanks, the Army will give them to us. <laughs> Again, using that logic, well, if the Marine Corps needs airplanes, the Army will give them to us, or the, the Air Force will give them to us. Somebody will. If yeah. the Marine Corps needs Marines, the Army will give us give them to us. Exactly. <laughs> that, that is the, the logic taken all the way to its end. Um, so... It's uh, this also. I, I mean, it's a great article. I just, I wish it wasn't so long, because there's so many lines like that that sort of got buried in the mass. But yeah, <laughs> the thing that that, um, and we've talked about this um, when we talked about peer-to-peer warfare. But it's in in really the first section, the first paragraph under background. The rationale for abandoning proven tactical and operational fundamentals appears to stem from the belief that ground warfare in the future will not involve units engaged in heavy close combat. Rather, these units will confront the enemy with long-range rockets and missiles or with strikes from loitering munitions, drones, and aircraft. This short-sighted view of future warfare may come from the fact that Marines have not engaged the enemy with large, organized, and disciplined units in sustained close combat since the Vietnam War. Right. And um, we've talked about that. If you want to read what it is to to fight a peer, read Kantian, right? Read Quezon. When, when read read the, Matterhorn. Yeah, read when the Marines from 3rd Marine Division in the north, and Tim's dad was up there in the northern part of I-Corps, just below the DMC. I mean, read fucking Kantian. And, and I mean, it is jaw-dropping. I mean, Kantian is not one of the most famous 
fights um, in, I mean, among, I don't know, veneer level knowledge of Vietnam, you would not hear content, right? But when you, when you, when you hear somebody talking about like I was at content, to me, my head spins. <laughs> Could I talk? Could I talk to you? Could I talk to you? Because that was some of the most vicious fighting in in, in, during the war. And it was over and over. Yeah, they were coming. I mean, when you read that, that the NVA had flamethrowers, they used them on Delta one four. Right. When they overran the company on the DMZ. Right. And then and then Delta Company counterattacked at dawn and, and took the positions back. You know, and you're reading this, and you're like, the NVA had flamethrowers? What the fuck? Right? And then, so, again, if our version of warfare is, is we've evolved it in our heads into, oh, this is what it looks like, because we haven't done it. I mean, I guarantee you, you, you look at, uh, again, I don't know what the fighting is like between the Russians and the Ukrainians. But I guarantee when, when when the dismounted units get get it on eventually, and at some point... Right. And there's a there's a great line relative to tactics and shit like, you know, your grand flanking maneuver. Right. At some point I get my motherfucking platoon on motherfucking line and I close with somebody and do a frontal attack. So it might mm-hmm. be this grand flanking movement to you. But at some point I am yeah. hooking and jabbing. Right. And and shooting and knifing bad guys. And yes. I don't know if we're just so far removed from the, that that we believe this, right? That mm-hmm. the wars in the future is not going to entail that. And, no. uh, and I, and I, and I love that he wrote that. Right. Yeah. You know, Tim, Tim's dad was the, I believe, and you correct me, Timmy, but I think your dad was the opso of, of uh, 326. Um, 226. Yeah. 226. Okay. But, uh, but to your point, Mac, uh, that those in 67, in the autumn of 67, which I think is before Tim's dad was the, the uh, opso, 326 it's 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 uh spelled out pretty good in the book lima six where they fight a battle exactly what you're talking about and that was and then you, you read about operation buffalo and you read all that stuff that one nine went through the the, the you know the stuff that uh, marlantis you know spells out in matterhorn and then in his nonfiction writings too you know it is exactly like that and that's the last time really um you know with a couple of very isolated like i'd say the fighting on Kotang island got, was but it was only a 12 hour fight, you know, so, and it was only a one time thing, but we re- have really not been through that. And the reason is most of our adversaries are smart enough to know that if you get into that, that type of thing with us, we will dismantle the organization that we face. We will disintegrate their integration and then we'll kick the shit out of them. Just like you said. And so they avoid that, you know, it- I don't know how you guys feel about the ramp ceremonies and the way that we treated the KIAs in Afghanistan. I, when I first saw it, was was taken aback by it because I'm reflecting back to, to my dad's experience. LZ Margo, and a, a one-afternoon fight that involved two battalions of battalion of Marines, a, a regiment of, of, of NVA, sort of, that made a ground assault. But in, in that one afternoon, the old man lost like 175 Marines. He has no idea to this day how many survived. How many were wounded? He didn't even know most of those people because of the way that they rotated in and out on the individual basis. And that kind of casualties precludes having all kinds of formalized things to, to, to recognize those that are departed. How the hell are you going to do a ramp ceremony when you when you in one afternoon you've lost 175 Marines um, because of the nature of how those battalions were thrown out there in the DMZ? 
The old man didn't know how many of those men survived, how many of them uh, were, were uh, recovered. He had no idea. Um, none, given, given the individual rotation system in no, play at and, that and, time. And the level of casualties, right, Timmy? Let me just tell you, the ramp ceremony, I think, was an honorable attempt to honor our Marines that were killed in action. But, no doubt. No but doubt. again, right? But you can only do that if you're sending them home in onesies and twosies. Exactly. And so when exactly. you're talking about a near peer war, right, there is no there is probably no golden hour, right? Because mm-hmm. because that space is contested. And so uh so some things change and and you're you better be able to tolerate casualties um in your six hundred and thirty seven man battalion because you're gonna take them. Yeah. Compare uh, in the march up how many KIA did first Mar did take? Like forty something? Oh, I think it was twenty something. Yeah. Well I know one five, right? The first two KIA just, and seventy five WIA. And but uh, just in the right. march up. The yeah, march up just, it was in the low twenties. And it's mm-hmm. and, and you don't discount any, any single one of them. I mean, I say their names every night, the guys I served with in first LAR. Um but it is uh, different, to yeah. say the least. You know, um, and it's a, yeah, it's a different force now, as well. And it, it's something that's interested me is, is that are we more risk averse because of it? Right, in a professional mm-hmm. force, people know each other. Marines know each other. They marry each other's sisters. Right, they know each other's kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a thing about we'll get into in the next one. Aging the force is a more aged force, maybe more technically proficient at certain things, but are they also more risk averse? And at some point, you need people that are less risk averse to do this thing if it's a human endeavor, which we think it is. Mm-hmm. Or we don't think it is really anymore. We do. Right, but it seems yeah, like other people do. think that. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next article. Um, I I think that's kind of interesting. Um, the next article is by General Lieutenant General Newbold, retired. Mm-hmm. Um, the Marine Corps' new talent management plan forgets what makes the service unique. Subheadline, Talent Management 2030, the new plan for overhauling the personnel policies of the Marine Corps, threatens to change the ethos of the Corps. Jeff? Yeah. Well, first of all, I had PTSD flashbacks from Pittsburgh reading this, <laughs> this thing because, the you know, decisions made, you know, personnel-wise, manpower management-wise, on a high level can really – make things almost impossible for the actual doers who have to go out and find the, the people that they're looking for. This idea you can just ferry dust and say we need, you know, older people because, the, you know, they can be able to, they're more mature. It, 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 it touches on a couple of different prejudices now with uh, people because of what we just went through about the lack of uh, heavy casualties in the, in the wars that we fought in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, the big battles that we had in the Vietnam and Korea in World War II we're not uh, is not the case. Even Desert Storm, less than thirty KIA, uh, the march up, like Will was saying, less than thirty KIA. Um, it just was. You just didn't have that uh, 
you know, the appalling nature spread writ large across the force where you had that you needed the, the final arbiter, the final victory is the grit of the individual Marines, no matter what, you know, I mean, uh, and so consequently, the idea that uh, you, know, you can go for a certain group of people and some of them would be so they're gonna be, we need them so bad. We're not going to have them go to boot camp, you know, maybe, you know, and all this stuff. And uh, the last time that, uh, you know, we didn't have people go to boot camp is because we had to fight the Korean War and we didn't have in, enough people and we put people in, you know, and but we had enough of people who had been hardened by combat in World War Two to, you know, to mitigate it. But that's not a, you know, that's not a answer to the problem. The answer to the problem is to be ready. It's to have the right people and to be able to act, you know, to have people who are less risk averse, as Will was saying. Um, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, you go into this data thing, uh, it's just it, to where that's what drives everything. It shouldn't drive everything with manpower. It shouldn't. It's bad enough now. I mean, some of the, uh, the, the I never heard a general who ran things in uh, Iraq ever even mention it after he got out of Iraq. You, you know, you run, hey, where, where's the general who's in charge, you know, in 2003, 2004? Why isn't he beaten, you know, on the, beaten on the, uh, you know, on the desk saying, we need more guys over there. We need to do this thing better. We need to do this thing smarter. No, they just, I'm not in that anymore. I'm doing something else. And, and so the, the main effort isn't victory in combat. The main effort is collegiality or something, you know? And then uh, when you... Can I tell you, you something? Just, that that yeah. was a... I got a view in 2004 that most guys didn't get, right? I mean, so I'm, I'm in plans, and then Mattis's uh, A gets wounded. I become his staff. So I, I sit in these meetings with these guys, right? And and I don't want to name names, but it right. was like, look, I, I you don't have to say this stuff because, as Jeff said, we all know that we need more guys here. Everybody knows it, but nobody's going to go back and say it in public. Why? You know, yeah. why? And, you know, and I remember being, you know, when, I don't know, you know, you, you get lectured about, you know, the things you're supposed to do. And then you, you, all, you feel like clicking off safe and looking at a general and saying, hey, well, what about you? Mm-hmm. When, when do you live up to it? When does somebody tell somebody that, that every place we are in numbers, not, not a fucking thing happens, Right. And then they squirt to where we're not, and then they start their shit, and then we got to go over there, right? And then the place we vacated goes back to them. You know, we play, we're playing fucking whack-a-mole. And, and our most junior Lance Corporals know it on their second deployment. You know, so when does it apply to you? And, and, and again, I, I, would, I would say, look, and I won't deprive you from commanding the 1st Marine Division, 2nd Marine Division, the MEF or whatever in combat. It's your life stream. But how about, as Jeff just said, how about when you go home, calling Senator McCain and say, I have some things to say. I'd like to say them in front of your committee and just want you to know I'm going to take my stars off and put them on the table. If you want them, you can have them. But I have a moral obligation to tell the fucking truth because there's guys over there dying for it. And I don't know. It just didn't seem Absolutely. to happen very much. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you know, General Newbold goes into the – the practical aspects of, uh, you know, recruiting the older force and everything. And, uh, and assumptions that were made before, like during the seventies, which were, you know, when they put them into practice, they had to shit can them right away because they just didn't work. 
you know, having older people and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he, he talks about uh, the uh, there will be some patrons who uh, potentially potentially including six month appointments to see blah, blah, blah. Imagine the recruiting pitch. There's some patrons may choose to do this, but the long experience of uh, older recruits ability to endure boot camp and OCS indicates the attrition percentage will reduce accessions to this program to the degree that is not productive. You need these young guys. And if you want to have this mature dude who's able to accomplish missions and everything, you got to get him when he's 8, 17, 18, 19 years old and raise him up that way. Because the Jeff Kennedy of 1975 was not – the Jeff Kennedy of 1982 could not have been without the Jeff Kennedy of 1975, 1976. You, you just don't – like Athena spring fully armored from the forehead of Zeus. You know what I mean? you got to go through – that honing and, uh, and, and hardening and training process, you know, to become what, to become what we're looking for. Got it. And I don't care if it's technological or actual, you know, what we're talking about combat, you know, close combat stuff for anything. You got to get people and, and, uh, and raise them the right way. And the only way you can really raise them the right way is if they're already in, you know? And you've been consistent about your concern for that. Like, like, where do you think these people are in their mid twenties that are just going to, you know, early twenties that, you know, they're, they're not in the workforce. They, they haven't made money and, and this kind of a little bit more mature, a little bit more, um, um, I don't know, um, you know, person is going to now turn around and join the Marine Corps and be an E1. Yep. You know, so. Yeah. Anyway. Jeff Kelly couldn't have become an officer in 1987 unless he got kicked in the balls in 1977 by Gunnery, Gunnery Sergeant Step 10 years before. That was the, that was a step-by-step process of turning me from a punk asshole into a mature asshole <laughs> who, was able to, who was able to maneuver the, you know, the vicissitudes, as Timmy would say, of the TBS, IOC, and then the real fleet. You know? I don't know if you noticed, but you, you said from a drunk asshole to a – and three heads turned, snapped, right? <laughs> Three heads were ready to complete the sentence for you. I thought that was nicely done from a punk <laughs> asshole to a mature asshole. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Because I'm, still, I'm a jerk. I'm just a jerk with an excuse now. <laughs> uh, Timmy, um, your selection from General Newbold's article. Well, it, that was pretty easy for me. I was focused on the recruiting end, and I want to read this and get Jeff's reaction because. One of the things the Commandant's talking about doing is leveraging technology to use these tools to get a better idea to help us recruit the appropriate people or whatever, okay? Now, General Newpold was saying using technology is not always a panacea. He said, for example, for an example of those, one can look no further than the current significantly harmful introduction of the Medical Review and Authoritative Data, MROAD, program that has caused three of the services to badly miss their recruiting targets. I'm like, M-Road, oh, yeah. what's that? M-Road pulled Word. all applicants' prescription drug history using either the Joint Longitudinal Viewer, JLV, or the Prescription Medication Reporting System, PMRS, before going to MEPS. Okay? Now, I'm sure that most people would say, well, just get into prescription drug history and an accurate one of every applicant is a good thing to do. Not if you want to make fucking mission, it's not. I'm yeah, sorry. No it's not. No it's shit. not even fucking close. You've got to, if you're going to be a successful recruiter, you've got to get guys out there 
who understand how to work in the gray and understand ultimately I want to get good kids into the Marine Corps. I don't want to get geeks. I don't want to get nerds who have never done anything, never gotten in any kind of trouble, never had any issues whatsoever. And and I've got a bias for the uh, for the hyperactive, the ADHD kids. They seem to work out pretty well. But you can't get them in because they've taken the medication, yeah. uh, it, particularly if they've taken it recently. So as you start increasing the technology and giving the recruiter less maneuver room to work with as far as trying to get those kids in there, all you're doing is limiting your applicant, applicant pool to, uh, to, to and think about how many are not qualified now because they're physically, they're basically raised to be to be physical weaklings. I mean, yeah, over, that's the eighty percent that can't qualify, right? Yeah, they can't. They just can't qualify. They got blood pressure yeah. issues at age seventeen. You know, and, 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 this and is think, think about this. Get them when they're think about this. How, how do you find where are your recruiters mining? Right at the high schools, right? Yeah, high, the yeah, high schools haven't that been in session. Your mission. The, the the high schools haven't been in session for the last what year and a half for some two years almost. Oh, they'll still get call rosters and 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 yeah, they'll still right. get call but, rosters and things like that. But the key is, but I'm talking about they have not been able to see interact with students on campuses for almost two years, and that's going to yeah, impact. That's going to impact recruiting across the board and make it more difficult. Yeah. It, it, it will, but I was, but it stresses the point Jeff was trying to make about getting them young. You can mitigate some of the damage, put them in the pool, get them cleaned up and whatnot, so they can pass a piss test. Yeah. When they're 24, 25, and that, and 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 you've got these M road programs, you know, data mining every bit of medical history of them. Shit, you're gonna be lucky to find. You'll be lucky to find a. You'll be like pulling a diamond out of a goat's ass. You find a quali- qualified. And like Will, and that's exactly right. And like Will was saying, yeah. it's it's another. It's basically another invasion of our uh, abrogation of our rights. That's exactly right. To go into somebody's, you know, uh, to find out the, every time the guy, the kid got, you know, uh, prescribed some medicine without, ha- you know, without allowing him to do it, you know, without him allowing him to do that. None of these things are illegal, you know, that nope. uh, that they're talking about. But um, it is a violation of your First Amendment right, I think, or and also your right against, uh, you know, your Fifth Amendment right. About uh, you know being uh, incriminated or discriminated exactly. against because of uh, some medical issue you had years before. Remember, Timmy, we used to have kids who'd say, "I think I had asthma when I was a kid." Oh yeah, and that was a nightmare because you had to prove the guy. And it, you ask his mom, she goes, "No, he didn't have asthma. You know, he he didn't have asthma. He just had a bad cold one time. He and he just likes to he wants to make something dramatic out of his personal history because he's a kid. <laughs> so he says that." But then you got to get the, the shit you had to go through to get a waiver for that guy to prove that he didn't have something he said he had. It was mind numbing. And, and, mm-hmm. and every time you do that to a recruiter, he's going to just say, fuck that kid. And he's going to look for somebody else. And in doing that, he's not going to make mission in time, you mm-hmm. know? And so it's, or he's going to fraud the kid in, then he's going to get caught. And then you lose not only that kid, but also that recruiter, which is going to affect the guys he has waiting to go to boot camp in the pool who he's responsible to get ready. So it's just a, a kind of, you know a cascading effect of nightmarish uh, things that can happen for the guy who has to actually go and accomplish the mission because of thoughtless high you know high level personnel decisions. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well. Yeah, there's uh, two lines. Um, gotta scroll back. Um. 
Like nearly all the policies that created the world's finest fighting force, the design of the Marine Corps' accession policies came about from rich combat experience and lessons learned. The first of these is that direct ground combat experience from the Greeks to Fallujah is for those most mobile, agile, and hostile. I just like bringing that ancient history. Um, mm-hmm. The Greeks knew everything, and we rediscover stuff that they already knew. Uh, then the last, the last point, which Mac was going to steal from me, but he's going last. Because a margin of success can be razor thin for those first in, absolute unity of effort and cohesion are essential. Individuality an admirable trait in Palo Alto and a tremendous insult in the Marine Corps, right? <laughs> must, must in the Marine Corps be subsumed within a seamless performance where all actions are subordinate to the unified effort to accomplish the mission. Tinker with this, damage the fragile nature of the institutional culture, and you are not experimenting, you are gambling. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a pretty well chosen word, <laughs> and quite ironic that you would seize on it. Um, the uh, let's see, the section is entitled "The Unintended Consequences of Aging the Force." At the bottom of that paragraph, the last couple paragraphs say, last couple sentences say this: "The other services age the career force, but none of them targets a first term force because they know from experience." What the downsides are, aging the career force selectively is long overdue and can bring richer skills and fewer incidents, but also brings increased costs in retention bonuses, pay, allotments, and upon transfers, household effect shipments. The community which suffers most from a lack of aging is the direct ground combat community, and this is the one skill community that appears to have been excluded. Very importantly, Retaining a more senior force also alters the pyramid structure that recognizes the flow needed to avoid grade stagnation. Once again, it's not that there aren't advantages to selective aging, but it needs to be accomplished with a scalpel, not a saber. The bumper sticker, Aging the Force, doesn't indicate great depth in assessing consequences. And so, you know, let me just tell you, I had great respect for General Newbold before I read this, right? I mean, the nuance in the article that he puts in here, it's a pretty dense article for, what, the three or four pages that he writes it. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's outstanding in terms of the nuances, and he, and, he go, and, he, and he goes down these rabbit holes of unintended consequences of the manpower. You know, things like, again, bumper stickers, aging the force, Right. And then, you know, and again, I, to me, it's one of the problems with force design, and that is logistics, right? <clears throat> Foraging, right? How do you even get into the, you know, weapons engagement zone? More fairy dust, right? How do you avoid the Chinese, quote-unquote, fishing fleet, which is their navy, right? How do you, how do you avoid their drones that are going to track you? in the limited number of platforms that we're going to put out there, very dust. We're going to be, invi- we're going to be invisible. Yeah. And also, and the other, the other thing that he sort of brings up that should give us great concern is that 
there's a force design crew. And now there are people that are pushing back against force design. And the people that are in favor of force design, instead of having a richer, more nuanced argument, uh, have gone to sort of ad hominem attack. Mm -hmm. On LinkedIn, they're labeled as the faction, the people that are against it. And, And if I could say one thing about the people that are the critics of the critics, is that your intellectual arrogance shines very bright. Mm-hmm. And so General Newbold points out all the potential. Well, he doesn't point all of them out because you don't know what all the potential unintended consequences are. And right. as bumper stickers, there was a lot in the talent management that I absolutely liked. I just don't trust the intellectually arrogant cocksuckers who are running manpower or other parts in the Marine Corps to implement them. I I think that the infantry force needs to be aged. I want more sergeant squad leaders out there. Yep. How do you do it? Again, that's a scalpel. That is a really hard thing to do that a lot of people have tried to do and haven't been able to figure out in a while. But, you know, Mac expressed it very well. We need the, we needed the video for your last little diatribe though, Matt. Sorry. The application of fairy dust. (laughs) We needed that. Exactly. But you got to have the video to go along with it. I was just so everybody knows I was with my left hand. I was, I was like, um, how would you say Johnny Appleseed would spread the seed. He would fling the seed. That's kind of the motion yeah, I was but, making. But unfortunately, I think Johnny Appleseed probably was a white supremacist or something. Whoa! Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> no need to play that card. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're everywhere. These days. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, he was propagating an invasive, non-organic species. Whoa! Yeah, he, he can't yeah. be our. He That's cannot be our hero be. today. He cannot. Yes. No, let me just tell you. I mean, I thought General Newbold. I mean. And again, to me, one of the horizontal themes throughout all of this is we've got a better idea. That which evolved this institution to be what it is today, right? We've got a better idea. Okay. Got it. And again, I have my own philosophy um, for myself. When you're doing McNamara, when you're doing something that somebody that nobody else is doing, you're one of two things. You're a genius or you're an idiot. And more than likely, you're a fucking idiot, okay? <laughs> so always default to that and you'll be okay in life. Um, but it seems like, at, again, as, as Will said, the intellectual arrogance, right, is palpable. Um, the next article is about uh, aviation. And I'll tell you, man, you, you, go, through, you go through the numbers, Man, if you're if you're at, at any part of the Marine Corps aviation community, holy shit! Uh, the article is yeah. entitled "The Marine Corps Reorganization Plan Will Cripple Its Aviation Capabilities." With this degra- degradation, it isn't just the Marines that will suffer, but the nation itself when it comes to both conflict and deterrence. Uh, Jeff, um, what part of this article got your attention? Well. It's similar to uh, General Newbold's uh, stuff in that people are looking at this thing now 
from all its at all the effects of you know what's going to have not just on you know the uh, ability to re- respond directly with you know with combat forces but also as we did with general newbold you know the uh the personnel you know uh, second third order effects and now with general day he does a very good job of talking about the the aviation aspects of it, and, and he, he says this, the ability to provide rapid response to real-world contingencies is dependent on force structure, is dependent on force structure. And he goes down the line, of, uh, you know, of uh, things that, uh, you know, that uh, we're able to do, 18 active duty VF squad, um, VMM squadrons with 12 aircraft, 216 Ospreys. He talks about the attack helicopters. The new 53K is even more capable than the Echo. And the uh, you know the F thirty five and so forth, but uh, like you were saying, Mac, the, that is going to be bitten into, uh, you know. And and uh, I don't know, you know, we've always it seems like our aviation guys have always been stretched to the limit, you know, of safety, you know, in order to, um, you know, pay, in order to you know spread our um, financial resources out among the different aspects of the Marine Corps, but uh, this would even more. As he said, and here's another classy line, Force Design 2030 severely degrades the aviation corpus, which is Latin for body, like where Timmy's at. He's near Corpus Christi, body of Christ, right? And that's that that corpus is pretty is road hard and put away wet anyway. You know what I'm saying? So this whole thing, this new thing, what it really seems to do is just cut down our capability to do much by removing our our, uh, you know, any depth we have, or by degrading the depth we have, it cuts down on the number of things that we can be capable of doing, and therefore we won't be chosen to participate. And we'll, and that is heading us, as it says in the beginning of this, you know, all these articles down the road to irrelevance. If we can't do, who needs us? Timmy. Force Design 2030 was presented as the way forward. Further, it was enacted without consultation with the combatant commanders whom it would support, and it is the combatant commands who will feel the consequences of a weakened Marine Corps aviation. There it is once again, the, the, the biggest conundrum of this entire thing, which is why are we doing this, who thought it was a good idea, and where the fuck are the combatant commanders who should be raising holy hell? We had one at the very beginning of this, at least McKenzie was was a Marine down there in CENTCOM. I understand he was distracted doing God knows what, but it's another reason to bitch at him if I ever see him again, which is how could you let this happen when, you're, when, when your combatant command is going to be significantly impacted in the future by the fact that we don't have a Marine Corps like the one we came up in. We have a different animal now that is, I'm not sure what it is right now. It's, it's in a state of flux. But the fact that General Dick, who was very articulate on exactly how much has been cut, he, he too focuses right on the thing that I thought was the biggest issue from the very beginning, which is why the fuck are we doing this and where are the combatant commanders in response to this rather radical change in the United States Marine Corps? And I, I don't know. The fix seems to be in. It's as curious to me as the last election. Just yeah, the other services aren't going to stop the Marine Corps from committing suicide. Oh, hell no. No, no, no. I don't expect them to. Would you if right. in their place? No, no. No, no I wouldn't if I was but, the guy. But here's what you have not thing. even seen a hearing in which um, when, when, for instance, CENTCOM gets asked about you have thoughts on, you know, 
the evolution of, of the Marine Corps and the direction it's going in, right? Yeah, they're like, never yeah, going to see gonna, a hearing. I'm, yeah, we'll never see a hearing. Yeah, we're, this, we'll need another Army division in place of the 1st Marine Division, period. I haven't seen that. You know, I haven't seen that discussion. You, and, yeah, you're not going to see it, right, unless uh, the, the Kulag Zinni uh, Sheehan uh, faction can gain right. traction up there right. because, right, the people that, that call the hearings are on, in the same party as the administration. Right. The administration's in favor of this. The right. service is in favor of it. The department is in Department of the Navy is in favor of it. The Department of Defense is in favor of it. And so who is the giant in Congress that's known as a defense person right now? Right? There's no Goldwater, Nichols, Aspen, um, you know, there's none of those people. And so unless uh, General Krulak can harken back to his OLA days of 30 years ago, you're never going to get a hearing. You may get a random question, but I don't see it. And that's why I said, you know, a month or two ago that that the commandant is going to win this if there's a winner and loser thing. Because he's got all the the momentum, and it's really hard to change. Got it. It'd be the worst thing for him if he wins it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. W- Will? Um, two things. Item one, you know, when I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, General Dake retired in the year 2000. He must be 90 years old. Yeah, he <laughs> retired when he was he retired when he was 56. So he was a general officer for eight years, one star to four star. Pretty quick. He's almost 80, yeah. Wow. Because the reason that got me is because he's like 78 now. I thought, this is this is a, a really well-written, detailed article. And I just thought the guy was like really old. He's not really all that old. Um, so that was item one. And item two, I won't go through them all, but the aviation cuts are like stunning. And yeah. at some point, there are some things that require certain density to Death. have any sort of capability. And aviation squadrons are one of those things. Because, you know, how you do the math with helicopters, mm-hmm. if there's eight aircraft that are sitting over there on the four, flight yeah. line, on the first flight, you can anticipate having seven of them ready. And on the second flight, six will still be working. And on the third flight, four of them will still be working. So if you start with that squadron that's only got six, that means on the first flight, you're already short one aircraft. and the second yep. one, all of them got to work, et cetera. And so well, and Will's when you start a former, cutting, right. yeah, Will you cut, start cutting airplanes out, those airplanes mean – at a, at a certain level, you think, oh, if I had 100 and I got 90, I got 90% of the capability. If I got 80, I got 80% of the capability. <laughs> right. If I got 70, all of a sudden I got 0% of yeah. the capability. And I think that's sort of the point General Dake is making. Yeah. A, Mew 3, a Mew 3 knows that he's got 12 bird squadron. You know, that's the core of the ace on a Mew. You need 12 to get eight, and just like Will said. Mm-hmm. You need 12 to get eight. The uh, one sentence, and it's the very last sentence, um, where he talks about the cuts. This number is stunning. 
total active force flight line reduction in Marine Corps air platforms is, <laughs> and Timmy fucking coughed. My very deliberate God, meter, you know, that was you, Jeffrey? That was, yeah. No, that was Tim. He spun and coughed. Um, 208 aircraft. I mean, you read that and you're just like, holy shit, right? <laughs> right. 208 Marine Corps air platforms are being done away with. And, um, uh, yeah, you read that and you're just like, I mean, and we struggle with Marine aviation having enough to go around as it is. Like, yeah, what? that's what I was going to say. Have you ever <laughs> been in a place where you had more aircraft than you needed? And you can say, no. yeah, guys, why don't you take the weekend off? You've never been there. Well, look at even like OAF-1. We couldn't even do – we had a hard time doing a company lift with all the av- aviation we had, you know, let alone a battalion vertical envelopment or something like that. I did one training exercise where my air officer was uh, just out of an F-18 squadron, and uh, we went down to uh, Yuma. And at one point, I think we had – four sections in a stack with a tanker for a battalion exercise, right? Training. Nice. It was, we, 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 I think we did 155 sorties. You support WTI? Yeah. What, no, what is that? This was my squad, my battalion air officer put this thing together and, and okay. So we, we shot more aviation in that week than the division did in a year, I think aviation wise. And you know what? We didn't have enough airplanes. We were <laughs> yeah. sitting up on the hill bored at some point, right. and we flew 155 sorties in about four days. So, yeah, we've never had enough airplanes, and now we're going to have a whole lot less of them. 208 less. I, I mean, the, the number just, you read it, you're like, oh, my God. Like, how the hell does this work? The, um, the last... Um, Last article is, you know, again, a little piece of history. War is a dirty business. Will the Marine Corps be ready for the next one? By Charles Krulak, Jack Sheehan, and Anthony Zinni. So you see a former commandant in public taking on the sitting commandant. So a piece of Marine Corps history. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeff, uh, what jumped out at you from this article? Well, this you, know what's, you, know what's, article. you know what's interesting about all of this? Is Bruce Springsteen coming on right in the middle of all this for some reason? I'm not exactly sure why. At least he's in my head. I don't know if you guys. Um, hold on. He uh, sucks. Yep. I'm with Jeff. He's a pro force design <laughs> dude. Too. I heard him say that. The, the um, broken heroes on a one front power. But no, none of no us. None of us have. We're all racist. None of us have yet to. Uh, a guy who listens to the program made this for me. You see this? Hold on, let me show you. Yep. You're like not. You're not even there. I'm here. You're not. I mean, there. we can't see you though. What? Can I you can't see. see. I can see the other guys. I can't see you though. Oh really? I just got the PTSD. W. You know, trust, post-traumatic winning emblem up. That's it. Yeah. I can see him. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to be looking, Matt? Yeah. Did he this make is, something? This is come? a. This is a. This got sent to me. This is a bottle opener. Guy's a blacksmith. Piece of re piece of rebarb. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I, that's nice. Yeah, and put it up in front of your face. I can't see it. What the fuck did you just say to me? I said, put it up in front of your face. <laughs> Hold on, let me put it up. <laughs> there you go. Let me put it there up here. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now yeah, maybe, now maybe Jeffrey, now maybe Jeffrey, Jeffrey can see. Left. No, all I can see is the PTSD emblem, man. You're, you're, you're move it to your left. Right there, you go, bullseye. Now turn it rotationally. Oh yeah. Very nice. Bottle opener. However, that's cool. However, if you take it in your fist and you do this, now what does it become? Yeah, it's a weapon. So I I got three of them. Both Colleen and Catherine were here, and I said, "Come here, girls. I have a present for you." Okay, put this in your purse, right? And if you need, if something bad happens and you wind up like, and you have to defend yourself. Go ahead and put this piece of steel right into somebody's head. It might get you a few <laughs> seconds. Anyway. Um, yeah, you want to – you can pry somebody's eye out with that little thing, that the, the way that it's that it's done on the tail end of that thing. That could be a little eye popper. Yeah, right there. See what I'm I saying, Jeffro? I was trying to get a guy's eye out last week. I could have used that. But. Yeah, yeah. You can pop somebody's eye out with that pretty easy. Oh, <laughs> you, wouldn't even have to, you wouldn't even have to try to do this. <laughs> and then you could use it as an excuse. I was just trying to open the bottle of beer I had that was sitting on the ground. The um, <laughs> there you go. Um, so this right. ar- this article, uh, Jeffrey, go ahead. Your yes. favorite. Your well, favorite. I've of been the saying, form. well, because of my job and because of my advisor background and stuff, the first thing that jumped out of me this thing is uh, going. To, there's no just now. Just recently, have we been starting to get. Uh, pinged, you know, the advisory training branch to do engagement training with foreign forces because this whole thing, you know, I, I was just say, what are we going to do to go to these islands and say, hey, uh, how you doing? I'm uh, Jeff Kenny. Mind if we start World War Three from your backyard or from your beachfront property? You know? <laughs> and the first thing that, uh, or, you know, that uh, General Zinni, General, uh, you know, General Sheehan and General Krulak, it says first. All the islands the Marines would seek to occupy belong to some nation. Those nations will unlikely appreciate their territory being turned into a bullseye. And then second, the Chinese adversaries are you know, likely able to quickly track and uh, target these Marines' positions. And then it, the, the overarching point that they're making here is that this thing, the, the, how are we get to our battle zone, how we get to our engagement areas, it's fairy dusted in this thing. Hold on. If you're going to say fairy dust, really you have to use the hand and arm signal for fairy yeah. dust. Fairy dust. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was a two-handed fairy dust by Jeff. Yes, that, because I put the, my main effort into this thing. <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know. So, yeah, it's like, hey, this is not practical. You know, the whole thing about getting there. Like, they have these – how are you going to get to the fight when the Navy – isn't going to make any more amphibs for us. Oh, we're, you know, we're going to use smaller amphibs. Really? You know, I just. No, uh, we're not. Cause the Navy says we're not building them for the next five years. That's yeah. it. Right. Okay. So, so how, now what? We, we got to, I mean, you got to get uh, Captain Steubing and the, and the uh, love boat <laughs> to haul us. Yeah, we gotta when Captain we, Steubing, when we used to do uh, helicopter do operations <laughs> on dry land, that that sound I made oh, yeah. was the way we would do it. We would just we would take you take your palms and you beat your chest as the 
No, that's the and you we went from, <laughs> were a helicopter. We went from sateens to camis. That's the camis had more leeway. You could do that. The sateens, which are starched and tucked into the your uh, your trousers, you couldn't do it. You had this go like that. Yeah, and that is <laughs> like the, that fucking the, like the Hulk's out there in LZ six. Remember that or LZ seven? Seven. You know that uh, in uh, Quantico. You know? The uh, not LZ, but training area or range mm-hmm. seven, range seven. The um to be no, I, no, it was the LZ. Remember, we had LZ six was in front of TBS, in front of the statue of Lefty, and then. In the back of T, back going up MCB LZ three, seven. right? LZ yeah. seven, right? I thought you meant range seven with the Hulks. What what Hulks are you talking about? There, oh, the helicopter Hulks. Yeah, the helicopter yeah. thing. And the the, and wooden, the old uh, yeah, wooden mock up, and the other and the mock up of the uh, the Higgins boat. Yeah, was there. Yeah. That was that, <laughs> that that was helpful. The um oh, yeah. <laughs> the I've never seen anybody accurate really. Say, yeah, let me just rip that apart right now because that's so bullshit. I've never heard anybody say that, right? So that made you feel good. Tim, um, would you pull out that last article? Well, the the excellent points that were made already about the fact that even getting there are, are, are valid. But then assuming that you get there, uh, I'll pick up with this sentence here. As soon as hostilities commence, it stands to reason that the enemy will retaliate against engaged units with overwhelming force and its systems would be more numerous and lethal with a longer range than the weapons available to small marine outposts i mean that seems to say it all right there it's what's it's it's again it's it's for those that have listened to us over the years talk about this it's something that we raised instantly that everybody raises instantly and and that brain trust that's that 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 will was talking about I don't know. I don't know what the hell they do to, to to mitigate this or to make themselves comfortable with the with the concept that they're advocating because it seems to me that it's very straightforward and simple. I'm I've never been anywhere near an ocean that didn't have a Chinese population, and that includes Haifa, Israel. I do believe if I got that right. Yeah, that's right. Fair dust. Here's a here's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of fair no, And again, it's crazy. And, 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 you know, I, I've been talking about this with Grant. You would think that we would be economic treaty, Philippines, you know, Vietnam, yeah. you know, He's Malaysia, right? And then that, that would lead, the economic treaty leads to diplomatic exchanges, now more and more military stuff. So we don't need to telegraph the punch and say, we're going to be there, wink, wink. But... You know, we know where we're going to be, and 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 they'll let us go there because we don't have any of that shit in place. Fucking zero. In fact, today I read an article in Reuters, and Reuters has a five-limit article per month, right? So they tried to fucking block my shit. But if you just take the link, copy it to a new browser, fucking thing works. So t- all you losers at Reuters, fuck you. So anyway, I read the article anyway for free, I might add. And we are now going to invite leaders of Pacific um, Rim nations to the White House for a summit. 
fucking <laughs> genius. Trump administration, four years, did not do it. Killed T- TPP. I got it. You want bilateral agreements. Then negotiate the motherfuckers because this fight with your quote-unquote pacing threat requires if the Marines are going to get inside the weapon engagement zone, the WES as it's known, right? It requires something other than pixie dust, okay? Yeah. It requires something. It requires real fucking shit. So if this is your strategic design, then somebody ought to get off their fucking ass because to me, right, the ass and the brain are not wired together in that event. Because the ass, the Marine Corps, thinks that, oh, yeah, we're just going to be in there. And as, and as both Jeff and Will have rightly said, yeah, right, there might be some consequences that the Chinese would impose on the Filipinos <laughs> and the Vietnamese, right? And the Vietnamese hate those fuckers, right? They fought them how many times? Oh, yeah. Right? Would they would yeah, they well, be up for it? Yeah, but you've yeah. got to mitigate against it. You've got to make it worth their while monetarily for them to do this. And you got to protect them. We got a shitty record of doing that, but we don't. We haven't done shit. Is my point. So I don't know. Maybe somebody might want to fucking. I don't want to say fact check it, but say yeah. You know that's a great idea, but we haven't done any of this shit, and so we don't even think. Even if you had the boats, we couldn't even get you near those fucking places to train or do shit until after twenty thirty twenty thirty five. Oh, got it. Thanks. If it all works to our favor, and it might not. William? Yeah, I mean, the simple, the simplest thing is uh, existing documents do not lay out a plan to evacuate casualties and resupply the islands. You know, when you're a lieutenant and a captain even, a company commander, I didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about logistics. But by the time you become the battalion three as a major, yeah. Um, you absolutely understand logistics. You understand that when you take a 800 or a thousand man unit somewhere, there's a lot of inputs that got to go in every day, and there's a lot of outputs that you got to get rid of, so you're not living in a cesspool. Um, and then you're you're not even worried in the peacetime environment. Really, you're not worried about casualties. Um, you do got to have a medevac plan because people get hurt, but you're not worried about significant casualties. And then the other thing that you really miss out in, in the civilian world or in the uh, training environment is the ammunition requirements. Um, So you go into some sort of mid high intensity conflict. Ammunition is heavy for the most part and requires special handling. We don't do special handling ammunition in peacetime because we want to be safe because it's peacetime, you mishandle ammunition in a combat environment, it will also do bad things to you before you can do it to the enemy. So it takes special handling, and it's heavy stuff. And so the logistics, you know, for anyone out there, if the I don't know how big the Marine Infantry Platoon is going to be in Force Design 2030. It's like 30 guys. 30 guys, Pacific Island, 90 degrees, 82% humidity, let's say three gallons a day. Three gallons times 30, that's 90 gallons for a platoon. 90 gallons of water times eight pounds a gallon, 720 pounds just in water to bring in there. Forage. Let alone, yeah, forage, forage. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> let alone like, food. That and, that lesson now you got to remove so much. porridge. Yeah, remove remove human waste, not from a fob where you have a contractor, from your current location. Yeah, you got to burn it. Crazy. Burn it. Whiz, ba- whiz back. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, logistics. Um, Batteries, ammunition resupply, medevac, food, fuel, waste disposal. Non-forage, 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 non-forage. Yeah. 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 I mean, basically all these articles, all these articles demonstrate that the thing is, and there's the the answer is very, uh, it's like Will was saying, you know, intellectually arrogant comebacks on this thing. So, but it does. Go ahead. And again, the Marine Corps is innovative. Have you ever heard of the uh, uh, E2O? Expeditionary Energy Office. I believe that General Conway stood it up. And they put a uh, uh, F-18 pilot named Brutus, call sign Brutus, in charge of it. Because they looked at liquid fuel transportation to Afghanistan. Right, remote location, no pipelines, got to move it in by truck. And there was a lot of innovation there. One of the most innovating things they did was get more generator mechanics out there. We were spending an excess, you know, we were losing 20% of the liquid fuel we poured into generators because the damn generators weren't tuned properly. It's innovative. And they also did some things with solar panels built into certain things to supply certain radio batteries with, with power. But uh, people are not fighting against innovation. But the people that seem to be fighting for innovation in, in many ways are, are detached from the true reality. In the end, humans need to be able to eat, drink, uh, Expand bodily functions into an area where you're not going to poison yourself, and all those other things. It comes down to math problems. That right. the document does not show you how you solve the math problem, and and we're not talking integral calculus here, right? We're talking add, subtract, multiply, divide kind of math problems. Not really complex. Um. The the two sentences that are are the second to the last paragraph, setting small un, small groups of Marines on islands to wait for enemy ships to sail past is not innovation. Cutting significant combat capabilities that may be needed in all theaters to afford questionable capabilities in one theater is not innovation. Period. Good. Very good. Um. Let me ask you a final question about. So you read all six articles in total. Um, what are you left with, um, Tim or Jeff? What are you left with well, uh, after reading all six of them? In, um, you're left with uh, significant questions in all functional areas of uh, the MAGCAP and all functional areas of, you know, all the principles of war. Uh, you know, um, significant questions. Everything is, uh, you know, needs better explanation, needs more, you know, thought, needs detailed um, 
uh, analysis, and then they got to the, the the people who are pushing this thing forward need to answer these questions, not to satisfy, as as Will says, the you know us dissenters, but how are you going to do it? That's really what we want. How how do you propose to accomplish these things? You know, I mean, you got to do it in detail. You got to have war games. You got to you got to and see what works and what doesn't. Instead of just saying we're doing this, it's almost as if we were told you need to cut so much money out of the Marine Corps, and you can use this uh, you know baloney excuse for force design as an excuse to do it. Like in other words, you're making. I remember uh, you know you're going to make the Marine Corps better by taking away our resources, and, and all in all uh, areas to include manpower, to include aviation, you know, to, as Will was just saying, include just basic logistics. You know, how are you going to do it? That's what we want to know. How are you going to do it? How do you propose to do it? We don't want to hear that we're, we don't know what we're talking about because we're not privy to intel that you guys are. You don't want to hear – people aren't, don't want to hear, you know, well, you know, you're an old uh, – you guys are old-fashioned and this is the wave of the future. Those are general, uh, you know, as Will said, ab hominem comebacks to criticism. But these aren't just critics. This isn't just criticism. This is how are we going to do this? And we're not getting, any, and you know, we're not getting really an answer. Well, and to and to complicate that, right? Um, not only how, but the Navy has why? pushed back on. Uh, well, that's the first question: why? If 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 the combat yeah. if the commander combatant commanders aren't in on this, like, w- w- why is the entire Marine Corps changing, right? But anyway, but the. Um, I got the divest piece, but it doesn't look like the Navy was ever on board with it. And so the invest piece is not in in place yet. And so how long is the nation going to be without, you know, a a combined arms Marine Corps? How long? How many years is that going to be? And um, that's a – just doesn't bode well. Yeah. And you look at that and you're like, holy shit, man. Holy shit. To me, um, in totality – in totality, I'm left with cognitive dissonance. I don't, I don't know the commandant. You guys do. I know. I don't know him. Same- he NJP'd me. I don't know. Yeah, that's well, but but he came up. With it's him not like we had a, a two way I mean, relationship we, in that little event. Just so you know. Oh, that's true. And okay, I wasn't wasn't trying to trying, trying to, to pick at scabs or anything, brother. Okay. But, but, I mean, he I'm came trying up to deal with us. it. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> he came up with us. We know his background. We know we we know where he's been and the guys he's worked for. I don't understand what the fuck is going on. I mean, it's it and it's it's a totality. It's it's the nature of the cuts. It's the nature of why we're doing this. I don't even understand who put this. I don't I don't understand why anybody felt obligated to take on so much. If he had just focused on the manpower system and did something productive there. That would have been a phenomenal accomplishment by any commandant. But instead, he's changing everything. He's injecting nothing but friction into an organization that he's supposed to be guiding through, shepherding through with no friction. He's supposed to be, as I understand it, maintaining as much equilibrium in the force as he can to make the job for the junior Marines easy. Now I don't even know what the job of a junior Marine could possibly be. There's no more closing. I, I mean, I don't know how you train infantry. I, I don't. I, I'm. I'm just left with a very sad feeling. It's as. It's as disgusting to watch as seeing Pelosi and Adam Schiff over in in, in Cav 
over the weekend. What the fuck are those two drunks doing there? It's the same kind of thing. What the hell's going on with my government? And it's now it's the Marine Corps too, and it's it's it'd be more than an average mortal can bear. But I'm okay because I'm down here in Texas and don't particularly care that much, you know. But God yeah, damn, we, we could tell you didn't I, care by the tone tone of your voice. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm not <laughs> fooling anybody. That's, it's just uh-huh. it's very disheartening. It it really is because it's you know it's it's sort of destroying the institution that we all dedicated our lives to willingly, and uh, and it's just sad. And 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 Dave Berger's no different. He did he dedicated threw his life in it too. What the hell does he think his reputation is going to be when he's done? I have no idea what the man's thinking. It's bizarre. Will had an answer for that question. Will? I mean, I, I hope he doesn't. I hope that's not one of the things that drives you is what your reputation, what people are going to think about you. Who gives a fuck what people think about you, to be honest with you? Um, but Almost everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, it's one of those things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. I mean, you're right. It's not supposed to take that into consideration. I, I like Will's attitude, to... but I but 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 Will isn't going to run run around doing weird shit like that. He's been this way all his life. But he's a reasonable guy who's incredibly proficient at, at a very difficult job, so he gets to do that. But I would care. I would care if I was a commandant. I would care about how people thought about me when I if I did a good job or didn't do a good job by the core. I would. Well, in totality, your thought. Yeah, so I just got on LinkedIn again, and, and uh, you know, here's the, the pushback. Um, Dr. James Holmes, Force Design 2030 is not all about the South China Sea. I mean, that's where we're going. Look, the, you know, Jeff, Jeff did the first level of why we should be concerned. The second level of why we should be concerned is that the people who are in favor of force design will tell you that it's been tested and wargamed and done all those things. So if, if you've been through all of these iterations that you say you have, and that's been a pretty consistent pushback against the faction of detractors for the last six weeks, then the only thing you can say is, about either the construct or the integrity yeah. of that analysis and war game. Because, right, how do you do the logistics? I, I'm not asking about great sensor-to-shooter, integrated communications, um, you know, right. all-knowing intelligence, et cetera. How do you get them food and water? How do they remove human shit? What about spare parts? ammunition give me the math on how many this pounds of stuff gets from wherever you are to them and so if you can't answer that in a simple way whether dr holmes thinks it's about the south china sea or not um then the construct of those war games is corrupt or the integrity those war games is um, compromised. And that's, I, I would, t- that's, that's I would even tell a you, bigger worry. Yeah, I would tell you, having spoken to some people I'm, and who have some level of knowledge relative to the war games themselves, they did not go without 
problem. Right. Mac, I was trying to just leave it out there and let the let the listener draw their all conclusions. Right. It's obvious they're all fucked up. It's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> There's 17 people out there that thought they were going to be geniuses because they came to the right conclusion, and you screwed it up. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's right. The, uh, I'm sorry. It sticks out like a dog's balls, man. <laughs> you I'm, know? Just, I'm sorry. I was just talking about it a couple of weeks ago, and they're like, yeah. the When they say that we wargamed it, talk to some of the people involved in the war game and hear what they have to say. Mm-hmm. That's bullshit. And I was like, oh my God, somebody make this better already. Um, yeah, when you read all six articles, um, let me just tell you to me, it's not the Marine Corps that I served in that certainly that, that debated maneuver warfare. You know, and, and, and for a number of years, we've talked about high functioning conformists, right? And that is that, and, and all, whether we're talking about, um, failure to come home and look at Senator McCain and, and, and the House and Senate Armed Service Committees and say, we do not have enough people, and if you want me to go home, here's my stars. I will gladly do so, but I owe them the truth to say this, right? Um, where is that dissenting voice in force design, you know, 2030? I haven't heard it from anybody on active duty. You hit on the down low. But here's – and here's the other thing. When – the people of this intellectual magnitude, right, come to you and say, we have serious misgivings, and you sit down with them, and you talk to them, and they say, thank you very much. We will now go public. We will now go to Congress. We will now take this fight, you know, to a level that the the Marine Corps has never seen. Something's significantly wrong there. Something's significantly wrong there. And it's to me, it's it's sad, and I think the intellectual vibrancy of the institution is, dare I say, dead, because nobody's going to say shit if they have a mouthful, because that'll you know that'll get your career ended, because you're not a high yeah. con- you're, you're not a high you're no longer you might be high functioning, but you're not a conformist, so we don't have any use for you anymore. If is that what it is now? Fuck. You know, of interest, um, the staunch defenders that I see out there of this uh, have one of two characteristics. They're retired lieutenant colonels, right? Nothing wrong with retired lieutenant colonels, but that's the, you know, that's the grade level that the defenders seem to have retired at, or they're from the Army, Navy, or Air Force. Right. You don't see senior retired Marines in defense of this. Yeah, um, it's amazing. And in, in answer in answer to your question a little bit, Mac, I, I think that there may not have been a lot of pushback from inside the force until now because the force and the senior leaders were not queried about it. You know, <laughs> when I see the people, particularly in LinkedIn, uh, that congratulate each other for you know shitting on General Zinni, et cetera. Um, they're Quantico area contractors uh, for the most part, 
type of people. And the rumor that we have heard is that uh, that, that the Force Design 2030 was really built by a small group inside McSiddick, was not vetted throughout the force. And so if you're a three-star general who most of those guys are putting in 65, 70 hours a week, um, and it's not on your calendar to have a discussion about Force Design 2030, you probably ain't going to have a big opinion of it, and you probably don't have a place to voice an opinion of that. If it's not forced into a discussion in the MROC, um, you know, I don't even know if they have a weekly or biweekly staff meeting. Tell everybody what the uh, M- tell everybody what the MROC is. The Marine Marine Requirement Oversight Council. So basically, all the stuff in the budget typically gets discussed uh, in the MROC before it goes into the Navy version and the Defense version and. And look, uh, the defense, the divestiture of like tanks, I'm sure was was in there. Um, is that an issue that you're going to say over my dead body? Are we giving up our tanks? I don't know. I don't know if that's a moral, ethical, legal issue at that point. So um, I don't want to be seen as a defender of the high functioning conformist, but I think that the way this thing was done. It was presented as a fait accompli. Uh, and now you're you're in charge of a not insignificant unit in the Marine Corps, say a division, and you didn't even get a chance to talk about it. How do you do a comeback? So no, that's how I, the process may have worked. You know what? And, and you were probably correct in all of that. My problem is I see a parallel in behavior of people of people that came back from Iraq and didn't say shit that we didn't have enough guys, right? Um, right. You know when we were going to expound the ground war in Afghanistan, didn't put their hand up and say, "Look, if we were in Germany and Japan for sixty years after those things, we will be in this motherfucker for four hundred and sixty, right?" <laughs> and, and as long as the American people are good with that then let's do this. But if they're not good with this, if you think you're going to do anything significant in Afghanistan in 5 to 10 to 20 to 30 years, you're higher than 10 motherfuckers. They didn't stand up and do it then. And so it's to me, Will, it's more the same narrative. of, And there's always an excuse. There's always an excuse. And so, and so it goes. And so, again, you know, and, and people that monitor budgets say, look, you know, Berger's going to be through his third budget cycle. You can't retrieve this fucking thing. You know, maybe the next commandant can massage it, right? Go in uh, with the army. What do they call that tank? The MRAT or something like that? The, yeah. The, the, it's, the, the, it's a lighter tank and, and whatnot. Yeah, the 105 gun. Yeah, with the 105 gun and all that stuff. Maybe you can go do that and you can, and you can restore uh, our combat capabilities across some of the range of military operations. And maybe that will be less to subsequent um, commandants. But again, if you can't restore the intellectual vibrancy of the discussion, and if that can't happen professionally, you're fucked, man. Right, exactly. And, and, t- and I will tell you this. If, if, if you're going to invent your, invest your life and you can't vent your spleen in public like that, why would you die for that? Because you get a cool set of dress blues? That ain't enough, man. It ain't enough. Nope. It ain't enough. 
All right, boys. First of all, uh, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I appreciate uh, uh, your time and, and your effort and your intellectual capital. Jeffrey, um, enjoy your swim. Thank you. You're welcome. You're going to swim sober? you got to have a couple cocktails before you swim? Swimming and drinking, not so good. I don't drink anymore. <laughs> since? <laughs> since? Oh, man. Since? Yes. Since, last night. Since, no, 90, no, I, uh, since 90 minutes ago, Mac, I just made the resolution. <laughs> if I could, I'd fill that pool with booze and swim in it. <laughs> but I can't. So no, I think I it's cool. That, I think it's cool that Jeff got invited back to do that thing for that IOC class. That's that yeah, was great. It was yeah. great. He was he me. was the Führer of IOC at that. They didn't know. I know. They didn't know that no, he was I, vis- sober. I visited him. If they knew he was sober, they wouldn't have invited him back. So. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Uh, well, you know, the, the thing is now, the truth is, I fall asleep before I get drunk. It's kind of a sad end to an illustrious alcohol consumption career. But what happens now? Alco- an alcohol he based. Can he make a existence. drink out of himself? No, he's just drooling, leaning over. His- <laughs> All right, boys. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you later. Right, yep. Man. See you guys. Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network.